This week on Small Town Scuttlebutt, we have a terrific guest. He's a retired detective who's interrogated 30 murder suspects. Now he's prominently featured on Vivica Fox's Interrogation Room. That's a television series coming out soon. So let's flip the script because now I have retired Detective Paul Maleri in my basement and will be asking the questions. But first, Liz shares some of her daughter's new roasts. Some of these first draft comebacks are not too bad. Also, iPhones need to stop assumptively fixing our texts. We'll tell you why. And a buyer beware advisory on wheelbarrows that you need to hear. Are you ready to do this? We're hanging. This episode is brought to you by Winslow Design, an award-winning firm focused on architectural design for your home or business. And by Larkin's Liquors, featuring a wide assortment of beer, wine, and liquor at affordable prices. Small Town Scuttlebots. Hey, how you doing? What's up? Hope you're having a great day or a morning. It's Rick Fink Jr. hanging out once again in his basement like a nerd doing some podcasting with his friend Liz Tell It Like It Is Daily. What's up, Scuttlebuds? Liz, do you like the Liz Tell It Like It Is Daily or do. or do you go along with it? And... No, I, I enjoy it and okay. I appreciate that you look at me as someone who tells it like it is. You do not hold back and you're unapologetic and uh, I feel like that's what the show's brand is, yes, right? We, we say what like the other day I put I put my hot take on stay-at-home moms who want to <laughs> talk about equality <laughs> online. I'm like, let's see how this does. Oh, it's so funny. Did anyone did you get any backlash for that? No, no, no bitches about it, but you know people do see me and say, "Hey, I just got to tell you, I listen to the show way more than you might think I do." And the comedy is spot on. Awesome. So, yeah. All right, we're doing our job. Yes. Yeah, so, and that was in response. That was from a mom who actually has a job, <laughs> <laughs> but she was commenting on specifically to that yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, let me just talk about the moms for a second. <laughs> I went to, uh, in our town, you know, we're very, uh, it's all about the kids and it's all yes. about education in this town. We are hyper critical about our education. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but. Let's just keep things in check. But we mm-hmm. do have a night called Literacy Night, and Jim James from Park Street Books backs up the truck and just puts books out everywhere, and there's activity. It's a, it's a book fair, yeah. really, on a weeknight at one of the schools. And I had rolled up with my son because he wanted to go because if he goes, he doesn't have to do his homework that night. That was oh. the arrangement, which I didn't realize until the teacher saw him. He's like, Charlie, <laughs> you're here. You don't have to do homework. And he had the shitty thing oh. on his face. <laughs> And I'm like, is that why you wanted to gotcha. come? Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, is that why you want to come? He just gave me this like slow, dramatic nod with a <laughs> smile. I thought that was great. Anyway, I parked the car in front of the school and start walking in. One of the moms yells out, hey, nice parking spot. <laughs> and I looked at my parking spot. I'm like, what's wrong with it? He goes, that's a fire lane. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is. <laughs> I'm parked in a fire lane. Now, when you pulled in, were you like, sick spot? No one grabbed this? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. However... Uh, I said, well, everyone's parked on it. She goes, yeah, be a follower. That's cool. Don't worry. Oh, my God. Uh, pardon the pun, but this this mom was on fire. Because <laughs> the fire department is directly across the street. So 
for context, the, t- the uh, mom says to me, don't worry. I'm sure the fire department's hoses are long enough. <laughs> now, was she giving you shit in jest or was she like, oh, really? yeah. Okay, perfect. Oh, yeah, okay, sure, good. sure. And she, she knows the show. Yep. And she knows me. That's and, great. Like, what I'm about. And I feel like if you're going to dish it out, you better be able to take Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And do you think that I would just ole the mom that parked <laughs> in the fucking fire lane and didn't give a shit? No, no. I'd be all over that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, you can't be a hypocrite, right? Yeah. You know? So touche. Mm-hmm. No one's perfect. <laughs> well, that kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about uh, today. Avery's roasts. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm intrigued. Like, are we talking about roasting people? Like, yes. Like, oh. yes. So she says to me the other day, she goes, Mom, I've been working on my roast comeback. So if someone at school tries to roast me, I have something to say back. <laughs> I didn't know that this was necessary. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe she should be focused on reading more, practicing her multiplication facts, whatever. But now she needs to be prepared to roast people. <laughs> so she goes, go ahead, roast me. And I was like, well, I, I don't want to say anything mean to you, honey. I feel bad. She goes, Stop, I can take it. Just say say something. I go, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I said, your hair has so many snarls in it, it looks like a family of rats made a nest in it. Mm-hmm. Funny, because it's mostly true. Yep. So she goes, it was terrible. I said, no, it wasn't. It was funny and spot on. Yep. I said, all right, go ahead, roast me. She goes, you're ugly. She goes, that's not a roast, Avery. That's just an insult. So, And she goes, oh, what do you know, boomer? So... so I found her notebook of roasts. Oh, good. She's writing these down. She's writing them down. Mm-hmm. And the title on her notebook page is Actual Good Comebacks. <laughs> so you be the judge, Rick. Okay. So I this is, in quotes, this is, if someone says this to her, uh-huh. you're so dumb. Her comeback is, you're so smart, haven't you learned how to shut up yet? <laughs> okay. Not bad. That's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> Age appropriate. Yes. Um, you're ugly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not your mirror, or you'll change your mind. Okay, or you'll change your mind once you look into a mirror. All right, that's not great, Avery. We need to work on that. Um, (laughs) Next, get a life. Like yours? Nah, I'll pass. (laughs) (laughs) Roast. Yes. And the last one is, your life is sad. And her response, yeah, because you're in it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So, yeah, so she did get me last night. I was out to dinner, Mm -hmm. and I texted her as we were wrapping up. I'm like, you need to hop in the shower because Dan was playing pickleball. So yep. um, she's like, I don't want to. It's too late. I go, you I go, you have to. You smell. And she texts back. She goes, like success. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. <laughs> so, yeah, she's working on it, Rick. That's so, good. you know, I know as a comedian, mm-hmm. sometimes you get pulled into like roast battle competitions or roasts in general or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So if you need, you know, a writing partner, mm-hmm. she's available. <laughs> that's great. That's good. Yeah. I- <clears throat> if I ever need the uh, 10-year-old perspective. Exactly. Exactly. She's ready. That's cute. <laughs> so speaking of comedy, let's catch up okay. on your latest gig. Well, I did the uh, the show the other night at Capo Supper Club in South Boston. It's a show that gets you exposure. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's all about. You know, you go do that show. You've got this great audience. They came here for comedy. It's a lot of couples, a lot of friends, tables of girls like in their 20s, which is my wheelhouse. <laughs> I mean, I just have to look over at the table of six cute girls right. in the corner, all like big toothy grins, just like <laughs> it fixed on me. And it just gives me the biggest sense of com- like mm-hmm. I can't do anything wrong. I, right. I've got them like they're yes. hooked. They're mm-hmm. hooked. So uh 
consistency has been my focus area. Like, mm-hmm. how come I, I did really well that night? And then this night, I was like, eh, you know. I guess that's par for the course in comedy. Yeah, it depends on the crowd, too, right? You know, you never know what you're going to get. So. That's right. That's right. And I'm still, you know, I've been doing this for maybe, I guess, fair to say three years, mm-hmm. right? Not including the COVID years. That's been on hiatus. But three years I've been doing this, and that's really not a long time at all. I think if you're doing it like 10 years, you're probably, you you now know what kind of comedian you are. Yep. I'm still on the what am I doing face? Yeah. And uh, while I'm figuring that out, I'm actually making people laugh. But at any rate, uh, I went there and if I'm being modest, I think I did very well. Awesome. I did so you well. You killed it. Don't be modest. Okay. <laughs> I had the, the crowd with me the whole time. Oh, that's awesome. The whole time. 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes. And um, I really enjoyed just the pauses, the longer pauses, getting comfortable with that. Like the people are laughing. Mm-hmm. Like the trick is to let them laugh, and then yeah. when the laugh is about seventy five percent through, then you come in, right? Don't don't stop the laughter with right. talking over that. So I would sit there. Sometimes I just say something, and it it takes like a two count for the laugh to come. Yeah, and that a lot comes with the the posturing or the facial expression mm-hmm. or the you know the head tilt. It's just weird. It's uh, so this is the stuff that I'm still working out. But anyway, my performance got me a good show at the Bell in Hand. <gasps> and uh, invite to come back at awesome. Capo, mm-hmm. but the biggest one, Nick's comedy stop on Saturday. No way, April fifteenth. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. that's huge. I mean, every every notable comedian that comes through Boston has had a gig at Nick's, and on a Saturday, yeah. That's huge. Next yeah. Saturday night, yeah. 10 minutes, and I am over the moon about this. That's I'm awesome. I'm uh, very excited because I didn't have that on my, you know, list of things to accomplish mm-hmm. until like another year out. Wow. So I feel like that was good. That was a very big surprise, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm psyched about that. That's awesome. Yeah, so Scuttlebutts, you want to come out for some comedy in Boston? <clears throat> Next Comedy Stop, Saturday. April 15, I'll be there. <laughs> I got a good tune up at Bell in Hand the Tuesday okay. prior to, mm-hmm. which is going to be great. Yeah, that'll be great. That's a really good Test bar show. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So, in less positive news, we've got some rants for you, Rick. <sighs> yeah. And I don't want to make this the Rick show, but I am, uh, mm-hmm. I just, I just invented a, a new segment called Rick's Rants. I'd like to bitch about uh, iPhones and a big wheelbarrow. Two things that are pissing me okay. off. Unrelated. Separ- I was just going to say they're unrelated, correct? Yeah. Okay, let's start with the iPhone. You have been the receiver of my text messages. Yes. They, you and I are friends. We're, we've got this working relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's social. We're professional, but we're not professional. You right. know what I yeah. mean? Like the, the bar is low. Yes. <laughs> In those kind of texts, I typically don't read over and mm-hmm. proofread my texts. I rifle something off. I know what I meant to say. My phone should have kept up with me. Yep. It's been long enough. I've got to do something about it because I realize my phone doesn't keep up with me. My phone makes assumptive edits. Yes. And they come across kind of intellectually stunted when you say like, like, you know, like the other day I said what I meant to say, like, Rick, I'm used to it. I know what you meant. And I know you know what I meant, but I want you to know that I know that I wrote something. You're smarter than what the iPhone thinks you are. (laughs) Yep. I put my foot down because I sometimes am texting. It's all muscle memory, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I type something, and I just hit send. And then I typically read over, and I'm like, and another thing, you know, and in conclusion. And, and and then and I sign it, tick, think. Right. <laughs> Have or, you tried voice texting? No, I haven't because I can't just spit it out. I'm yeah. like, it'll be too many ums, uhs. Yeah. And, uh, so... 
I'm really getting irritated. I, I cannot say thanks without, ah, uh, thanks, Hanks. Yes, <laughs> like, that's what I got the other day. <laughs> like, what is, uh, what? we have Chad GPT 4.0 that can write a 20-page paper about the Russian Revolution mm-hmm. with pinpoint accuracy, but my phone cannot even provide a salutation and a sign-off per, <laughs> without saying, like, the worst one, I signed it, Tick Dink. <laughs> And that's why I will not be paying this bill. <laughs> I will have you know I was double charged. <laughs> Tick Mr. Fit. Dink. Tick Dink. Oh, my God. Oh, you know that they're just lighting up. They're like, right. ah, this fucking asshole. <laughs> he can't even send a text he can't, his proper name. This guy can't even spell his name, and he's telling me my accounting right. is wrong. Mm. So I'm going to get a new one. But I always liked the small phone. Mm-hmm. I, wanted, I, wanted, I thought that's the thing. Like, so the smaller think- the better. You're, you think the autocorrect feature is going to be better in a in a newer iPhone? Well, I'm going to go and say, why can't this phone... Can can we just make the phone stop assuming <laughs> things? Because it's, it's batting zero. It is, it's getting... <laughs> everything it thinks, it's wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I just want it to... I'd rather have a misspelled word than a misused <laughs> from left field word, mm-hmm. you know? So if we can't start playing with it in that regard, then I want a phone with bigger letters because my thumbs are, I think, average-sized yep. man yep. thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Should I use that term? Man thumbs. Look at these average-sized man thumbs. <laughs> Explain to me why your phone cannot accommodate. <laughs> I'll yeah. be, I will be interested to, to know if the autocorrect feature performs more accurately in a newer generation phone. That's yeah. the real test here. Mm-hmm. And I, I just share that because mm-hmm. one of the themes is self-improvement and like, you know, mm-hmm. call it like it is like you're, you're, you're screwing up your text. You don't look intelligent when you send off something and sign it. Tick dink. No. <laughs> and I blame the phone. I blame Back the phone. Back in the 80s, that could have been your stand-up comedy name, uh, yeah. right? Like- well, one guy told me like, Dick Fink, that sounds like an STD. I'm like, you know what? There's probably something right. there. <laughs> Yeah, I went down to Cabo San Lucas for spring break and came back with Dick Fink. <laughs> I got some penicillin for this Dick Fink. <laughs> uh, big Wheelbarrow. First all right. of all, what a pretentious name, Wheelbarrow. What's a barrow, what by is the way? A, it is nothing. Okay. It's stupid. Have you ever used the word or term barrow? No. Outside of the term wheelbarrow? No. Then you don't need the word. It's like the word <laughs> consummate. What when you hear the word consummate, Liz? What word follows consummate all the time? Professional. Right. Then just stop saying the word. You sound like a douchebag. <laughs> if I ever see a cover letter or like a, a a reference letter, ooh, Liz Daly should be hired, considered for this position. She's the con- up. <laughs> you have no originality. I just consider the source. The person who wrote this letter has a shitty vocabulary. Get out of my face. And Liz, fuck off. <laughs> Sorry, Liz, I don't even know you. This person speaks highly of you, but this person's an idiot. So, you don't get so the therefore, job. you're an idiot. Yep. I've actually, I, I did get a, a, a reference letter, and I'm like, can you just take out the word consummate? It's, oh, my God, really? Yeah, it's stupid. It's ah. a stupid word. It's a nonsense word. You don't it need it. You don't need word. it. Yes. It's, it's a word that someone uses to sound smart. Mm-hmm. It's like, you never use this word. You're phony. You're fake. You're full of shit. Stop it. Anyway. So wait, is your problem with the word wheelbarrow <laughs> or just the actual wheelbarrow itself? No, that was that was uh, <laughs> the rant within the rant. Okay. <laughs> but thank you for keeping me on track. I'm a little punchy today. I left the wheelbarrow outside of the shed mm-hmm. over the winter on the ground. Oh. And the um, the wooden handle is now rotted and yep. it broke off. I think the boys actually helped finish Probably. the job. <laughs> because I don't know where the other half of the handle is. Like The crime scene suggests that there was tampering. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I need two new handles. 
or I need a new wheelbarrow. Yep. I am not one that likes to waste and I feel like you got this big fiberglass barrel mm-hmm. and you've got uh, a lot of hardware and framing that you can probably just transit. All I need, right, is the two wooden things. So I'm going to go do that. This is one of those slippery slope projects that had my <laughs> wife just laughing at me like six hours later. Right. <laughs> three trips to the hardware store over a wheelbarrow. I go to the store. I see a wheelbarrow. There's two models. One is $90 and mm-hmm. one is $120. What's the difference between the two? One was fiberglass. One was wooden handles. Okay. So it's materials. Mm-hmm. Also, it was a half a cubic, but more volume in the barrow. Gotcha. Good question. Okay. So I roll it out. I said, I'll take this one, the $90 wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. It was the exact replica of what I had. Then I thought, you know what? What am I going to do with all that other wheelbarrow? I just need, you know, let's just fix the wheelbarrow. Okay. So I put the wheelbarrow back. I go into the store. I buy two handles. Got some receipts here. I didn't even know you could do that. They just sell wheel wheelbarrow handles? Yep. Yep. It's, it should probably be like a maybe a one-hour job to replace right. the handles. Big, long handles. It's the framing, right? You've got multiple receipts there. For, yeah, I do. For a purchase of handles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to buy two handles, 60-inch mm-hmm. handles, and they were $25 a piece. So I'm already 50 bucks in the hole. So that's more than half of what a new wheelbarrow would have mm-hmm. cost you. But I'm saving 40 bucks. So far, i But I've, your time I'm, is money, and now you have to spend your time. Okay, anyway, yes, go ahead. Yes, Sorry. I, now it's becoming my rant. This, well, this is, where, <laughs> this is where I was fighting. I'm like, but I kept going back to, you're going to just add to the landfill just stuff that you could reuse reuse repurpose like don't add to the problem of the environment and i'm not an environmental freak but i just hate to waste things Mm -hmm. then i got home and i started putting it together and i realized that the wheel is flat so i'm like oh okay we'll pump that thing up and then i just hear and i'm like wait a minute it's not salvageable no not salvageable Thirty-five dollars. So where are we now? We're Eighty-five dollars yep. in, so, not in, not including tax. <laughs> right, that's right. Okay, a lot of these nuts and bolts are rusted out. Twenty dollars worth of hardware later. Now I'm into it, right? Now I'm into now it. Now you've lost money. I've, I've lost money and a half <laughs> in a time. Day. All right, so buyer beware. If you have a wheelbarrow with wooden handles, properly stow it away in a garage or a basement or a shed. Don't leave it out, assuming, mm-hmm. oh, that's some pretty thick wood. I think it's crappy, soft oh, yeah. wood. It's, it wasn't oak. You know, it wasn't like something substantial. Like, that, that'll that last. I don't know. Yeah. Just just know that if you want to fix your wheelbarrow, you're paying more than just buying a new <laughs> goddamn wheelbarrow. So you did eventually finish the project. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? There is there is something that money can't buy. Pride of ownership. I guess well, you do. That I is, feel like you didn't have pride of ownership of your wheelbarrow because you left it outside for two winters. Renewed pride. <laughs> I learned a lesson. I oh learned that God. it's a privilege to be a wheelbarrow owner. Apparently, And I'm going to sound dumb here, but every time I go to say the word wheelbarrow, I have to ask myself, is it wheelbarrow or wheelbarrow? That's the thing. It's wheelbarrow. <laughs> right. But it's bullshit. But it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's a stupid word. Yes. So I'm going to just call it a wheelbarrow. Yeah. Because it's a barrel yeah, with a freaking wheel on it. Mm-hmm. And there is no such thing as a barrow. Correct. I bet. I bet someone could Google it and go, "Yep, barrel." It's not a commonly used word. Right. It's, it's kind of extinct. It's just fallen out of favor, right? Uh, before we get into the next thing, I just want to say mm-hmm. because we're talking about words, you, you mentioned Riz. Yes. Well, I heard the comment Riz at the comedy show the other oh. day. A comedian had used Riz, and I did some digging around. I said to the kid next to me, mm-hmm. "Right, you get the twenty-six-year-old comedian." I'm like, "Hey." 
Riz, that's the new word. He goes, yeah, man. I'm like, does it stand for anything? He goes, charisma. Oh, damn. That so, makes total sense. It does. Yeah. It does. Charisma. I like it. So that's like where it, it comes from. Okay. All Good right. to know. Yeah. Okay. So today we're going to talk about your favorite genre. <laughs> you love a good true crime story. Yes, you, I you, do. Nothing Murder, makes you, mayhem. Yep. It is like the number one genre. It Everyone is. loves. You go on Netflix, it's nothing but true crime. Yep. And comedy. It's, you know, uh, one in three Americans consume true crime content in some form or fashion at least once a week. It's a lot about, like, awareness. I always thought you guys were just totally in it for the entertainment value of it, but there's actually some, There's like, lessons to be learned there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So today we're going to bring in Paul Maleri. He's got his own podcast, so uh, I thought, wouldn't it be neat to cross-promote and yeah. talk to another podcaster, but also somebody who's in the true crime realm. And um, he served with the Essex Police. He's a retired detective chief. Chief Inspector. He's interviewed a number of murder suspects. Can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, and now he's an entrepreneur specializing in the recruitment of former members of the police and military. He's taken part in a number of television programs and is due to feature in a true crime series hosted by Vivica Fox. Mm. So he's visiting his lovely cousins in Medfield. Those are my neighbors. Mm Mm-hmm. His lovely cousins are my lovely neighbors. So we are going to speak to him, but uh, let's just do some quick ads and then we'll get right back into the interview. Winslow Design is an award-winning firm focused on residential architectural design. Their services include additions, renovations, and new construction. They love making special spaces that truly reflect the people they work with and the places where they live. Winslow Design's philosophy fosters successful design through collaboration, thoughtful conversation, and active listening. To see what I'm talking about, you can visit their amazing portfolio at winslowdesign.com. At Larkin's Wine and Spirits, you'll find an excellent selection of top-quality wines, beers, and spirits, as well as an extensive collection of higher-quality items, such as single-barrel bourbons and single-malt scotches. Larkins is committed to personal service. Let their friendly and well-informed staff help. They are experts in craft brews and worldwide wines. Larkins Wine and Spirits is a third-generation family business owned by the Larkins family since 1935. Visit them online at larkinsliquors.com. Can I get a sound check from you? Can you just... Yeah, my name's Paul Maleri. I'm from Braintree in Essex, United Kingdom. Wait. There's more than one brain tree. <laughs> we are the original brain tree. So shall I tell you the famous facts about the original brain tree? Sure. John Adams' family was born there, mm-hmm. and the man who invented the Kellogg's cornflakes, his family was born there as oh. well. No kidding. Yeah. So it's, it's it is the original brain tree, and if you come to the old part of the town, mm-hmm. that's where John Adams' family actually lived. So yeah, it's 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 a very very small rural town. It's, yeah, it's a good place. Well, how fitting because we're. Small, Small town scuttlebutt. Yes. You are indeed. <laughs> so I've been listening to your podcast, and uh, I like it. It's a it's a very good podcast where you take an individual and just have a conversation about them and what they do. Yeah, I'd like to do that a little bit with you, Paul, and then get into really your content knowledge and expertise. Sure. Because we've talked about how you're 
uh, an ex-police officer, and you've got some detective, or uh, right, your investigator, right? Oh, yeah, so, I was a detective. So right. you, you've interviewed murder suspects. You've worked on some serious cases. Yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's important work, and I can't imagine it psychologically. How do you deal with yeah. something? I'm, I'm curious about that. Mm -hmm. But now you have a job. Now you're working in the private sector, and you started a business called X Job Recruitment. Yep. What's that all about? So um, if I take it back one, I'm from a family of cops. Mm -hmm. So my dad was a cop, my brother was a cop, my uncles were a cop. We've had cops in the family since 1935, or in fact goes back further than that, because when my mother's, my grandmother's brother left Galway, my grandmother's uncle left Galway, he joined the cops in New York. Mm -hmm. So he landed at Ellis Island, went and joined the cops in New York, so policing is in our blood. Mm -hmm. um, I served for 30 years with Essex Police, and during that time I was a murder squad detective, I went through to become a detective chief inspector. So I ran a, a large team of detectives across our county. Our counties are different to your counties. There's 1.9 million people live in Essex, which is my home county, mm -hmm. which is equivalent to a state, I suppose, but oh, yeah. we, we break it down different ways. Mm -hmm. And as I say, during that time, I dealt with everything from theft of milk right the way through to homicides. I worked on hijackings, kidnappings, and things like that as well. When you get the theft of milk case, do you feel like your time's being wasted? No, and I'll tell you why. Because if you lost a pint of milk off your doorstep, you're not going to notice it, are you? No. But if you're Mrs. Miggins, who's who's living on eighteen dollars a week, and you know, living in some, they didn't, or they didn't have milk for the kids to go to school, mm -hmm. things like that. And that's where, if you look at the the, the broken windows concept that, yeah. that, that New York had. Mm -hmm. If you sweat the small stuff, mm -hmm. the big stuff starts falling into place. And that's where the police, certainly in the UK, have lost perspective. Mm -hmm. So if you deal with the, the lower end of the market, because the person that stole the milk or pulled the legs off the spider, I'm not saying we investigate the thing, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, it's that small stuff that then escalate and they, they go from stealing milk to dealing crack. And you know, th there's a huge gap there. Mm -hmm. but quite often the people that are stealing milk have got social issues and therefore they right. need the extra support. So it's not a waste of time in answer to your question. Okay. Yep. I thought it was a fair question. I got a really good answer there. <laughs> yes. I wasn't trying to marginalize, but <laughs> no, no. when you compare stealing milk to uh, someone got harmed, yeah. so it just seems like an apples and oranges. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. But but it's all about, for me, policing is about community. Yeah. I mean, yep. this is what your pod, your podcast is about community and it's, it's great. Mm hmm but the heart of the community gets lost sometimes. And for me, the public sector, the policing element is about the heart of the community. Mm -hmm. If you get your policing right, the rest of the community falls into place and it all works together. But if you get it wrong, guess what? They're all against the police, as we've seen in right. popular press. And then all of a sudden it goes horribly wrong. Is it like that in England too? Yeah. Do you have the same issues that we do with policing and lack of respect? and Lack of respect. But, but the lack of respect comes into family life as much as anything mm -hmm. else community is about maintaining that trust and that connection and the, the fact is that if you haven't got that then you your community falls apart right. so policing and community all all comes together Paul, Paul I'm sorry to laugh but can you just read the, this is our police department this is from oh. the boston the boston.com 
Investigation finds Medford police officers often slept avoided <laughs> patrols during night shifts. Well, do you know what? What do you think of our community? <laughs> if I was if I were paying their bills and that was proven, then mm-hmm. guess what? They'd be out of work. Yeah. yeah. There's there is no place for, for slackness. If we just keep letting everything slip, everything slide, mm-hmm. then cops go to sleep at night. Yeah. Right. That and that's the thing. So it's the standards within the police department should mirror the standards of the community. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they both need to enhance their position. Mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about policing. Mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about community. I'm very passionate about family. So that's where I sort of come from. Mm-hmm. But when I retired, I had this crazy idea that I was out cycling. I know I don't look like a cyclist anymore. Okay? <laughs> I've got a number of chins, and at some point, I'm going to try and get rid of some. But I was out cycling with a friend. Do you have the tape pants? Oh, do I? Yeah, but... <laughs> There's ladies present, I won't. Um, <laughs> so I was out cycling with a friend. He said, what are you going to do when you retire? And I said, well, I've got this crazy idea that I want to run a recruitment company for former cops. And the reason being, in the UK, when you leave the military, you get a lot of guidance and support. You, you know, you'll get resettlement courses and what have you. Mm-hmm. You may have only served for six, nine, 12 years. In the police service, you either served for 30 years they pat you on the back, they give you your paycheck, you know, your um, pensions all sorted, and you're gone. And is that, a, is that a mandatory retirement age, or once you get to 30 years, you get your full you, pension? You can go at 30, between 25 and 30 okay. years. So, so and no disrespect, why, why would I want to hang on? Right. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't, a lot. I don't yeah. want to be rolling around on the floor with, you know, some 27-year-old bodybuilder that wants to kill me, you know, mm-hmm, I'm, sure. I'm past that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God for police dogs. That's all I'll say. But, the, <laughs> but, but you, that's and I had this idea, and I thought, oh yeah, you know, I can, we can do that. So we do everything from local authority support to training staff out in the Middle East. Awesome! Oh, wow! Wow! So we've got police and military, former police and military, and that's our specialised subject. Mm-hmm. And they go and work in wherever it may be. And it could be antisocial behaviour, it could be if someone's got a logistics problem, if it's corporate support, from low-level roles to senior management mm-hmm. roles. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we're quite we're quite lucky. I mean, we supply, supply loss prevention officers. Now you mm-hmm. think, why would you... Well, th- but this is in the major football stadiums where it's a cashless society now. Right. Oh, sure. yeah. Well, because if you walk in with $20 in your pocket, I'm sure you could find some kid behind the, the ramp that's selling hot dogs and hamburgers and all that. They'll take your money from you. But when you say football, you mean soccer, right? No, no. We, we play real football. We play real football. We, we don't make one game last for four hours uh-huh. so that we can sell as many hot dogs <laughs> and beers. How, let's talk about true crime. Yeah. This is Liz Loves I True know. Crime. And I'll just open it up. You've been on murder investigations. Is it like in Hollywood where you're like, you son of a bitch, where were you on Tuesday <laughs> no, night? No, it's nothing like that at all. So let me take it back. You're, you are part of a team. Mm-hmm. Okay, you are one part of a jigsaw puzzle. A murder scene in the UK is bolted down. It's nothing like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You don't lift up the the tape and go under the tape and yeah you're contaminating a crime scene exactly you lift off the sheet and you have a look and there's a body underneath you put the sheet down and you shake your head and it's not it's not like that Mm -hmm. um it's very very clinical Mm -hmm. because you can't afford to have a miscarriage of justice and arrest the wrong person right so you were a detective or a law enforcement officer for for 30 years yeah there obviously during that time there was tremendous advances in 
DNA technology, Huge. CCTV, GPS, all, the, all just technology across the board. So when you, from the time you solved your first murder to the time you solved your last murder, like, was it much easier to solve that last um, murder because of advances in technology? The inv- advancement, we had a, a murder in the UK. One of the early um, DNA traces was a, a lady called Fiona Gallant, and she was murdered by a, um, a suspect trucker, lorry driver. And they found a body... And then they caught him on the back of a DNA test from another crime that he committed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, the UK is a lot smaller than, than the US. So it's easy, I say easier, but, you know, it's the same system. It's the same, right. same way, but mm-hmm. we do the same job, but in a different, different way. But, yeah, so th- that was the earliest one. But the advancements, I, I mean, the, the, the main advancement for me was the use of telephones. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the way that you'd use triangulation to mm-hmm. investigate a crime. Yep. So you'd pinpoint. Classic one was the, the murder of Danielle Jones. Um, she was a, a schoolgirl murdered by her uncle. And I, don't forget, I was part of a team. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'm not a glory hunter, you know. I I, I <laughs> yep. didn't score the winning goals in these. Yep. I was part of the team. You're being humble. But it's true. You know, mm-hmm. I, I see too many people do these types of things who go, I was the best thing ever. And I think, no, I worked with you. I know exactly. <laughs> I, know exactly right. I know what you are. You well, we read too many uh, thriller novels and, you know, with, with, the, with the protagonist that gets the girl and finds right. the bad yeah. guy and the movies with the explosion in the background as they walk in slow motion toward the camera. <laughs> Everything's you know, sensationalized. Roll credits. Yeah. <laughs> but the reality is... You've got a whole team. Whole Everyone, team. Everyone's mm-hmm. got their job to do. And well, just, if I just, tell you, Danielle Jones, I mean, that's a great case in point because she was, we never found her body. I've just done a television series for um, Sky, which is a part of the Rupert Murdoch group. Mm-hmm. We never found her body. Um, she was murdered, abducted and murdered by her uncle, Stuart Campbell. I interviewed him on the first day that he was brought into custody. Mm-hmm. But it was the damning telephone evidence that actually secured his conviction because whilst he was saying I had no contact with her, they could prove that his phone was next to her phone mm-hmm. all through the triangulation. Mm-hmm. Now, this is 2001, so we're talking... Flip phones and yeah, this is- cellular and mm-hmm. yeah, you're paying for minutes. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but, but also, what we would also do, and they, they still do it, yeah. And the criminal knows it, so I'm not putting any trade secrets out there. Mm-hmm. But we'd get phone billing, and we'd have an analyst. Mm-hmm. So it's not the person out in the field, you know, chasing the bad guys or in the interrogation room like you. It's it's the person at the desk job with a highlighter going line item by line it item could be. It, it on a phone bill. Yeah. It could be. And mm-hmm. it could be. I mean, what happens is you'll get the, the data will be dumped into a, mm-hmm. a file, yeah. and somebody will just go through the data, mm-hmm. and they'll set some algorithm off, and they'll say, oh, yeah, this call made this, you know, from this point. And, and, and since I left the police service in 16, it's evolved even further. Yeah. I know that for a fact. So it's, it's forever changing. But it is sometimes the junior analyst who's not even a cop, mm-hmm. who's just been, you know, getting paid however many dollars an hour, pounds an hour, to go through this data. And all of a sudden they go, bingo. And they become the most important person on that investigation. Right. Now, for me, as an interviewer, it's for me to interpret that information mm-hmm. in order to give it to the suspect. Yeah. And it's, it's brilliant. You know, I am very, very passionate about what I did 
I'm very proud of what I did. But as I say, I was part of a fantastic team mm-hmm. with some great senior investigating officers, and it set me up for the person I am now. When you had that initial, that first murderer that you interviewed and you said to yourself, right, this is what I want to do, was it because you wanted justice for the victim or closure for the families or figuring out why does someone do something like this? What was it that well, compelled I, you to pursue? Why do I enjoy investigating murders? Well, it is around that closure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you've got an inquiring mind, there is nothing better than to sit across the table with somebody who's taken somebody's life to try and find out why they've gone down a course of action, whether they've blown somebody's head off or whether they've stabbed them to death. Or There is nothing better from a police perspective. That is the, the, the top of the career. You know, I've 30-plus people I've interviewed for murder. Has there been any kind of commonality between them? Like, if, like everybody is... Uh, you know, a narcissist or every or, or something? Like, could you draw any generalizations or is it every, every... What motivates someone to kill someone is different for everybody? It, it, there's, there's different motivations. Mm-hmm. I mean, domestic violence is on the increase globally. Right. Husbands on wives, less, less often wives on husbands. Sometimes you'd have a, a wife that would kill the husband because they've been a continual victim or you've had the wife kill her husband because she's completely nasty, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there's... um. There's a saying, you know, they're, are they bad or are they mad? Yeah. And quite often they're bad. Very rarely will a psychiatric, you know, assessment take place where they go, yeah, they've got psychiatric issues. Mm-hmm. They get found guilty on, uh, for murder on the grounds of dimi- diminished responsibility. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a, a rare occurrence. But, you know, you contract um, killings, revenge, mercy killings. You know, the son that puts the pillow across his mother's face because she's got dementia. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember interviewing a guy for that. That was awful because he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. His, his mother was extremely unwell. So yeah. they're, the, they're the things. It doesn't affect me as in, I don't, I don't have sleepless nights, right. but I am Marvo the memory man because I remember people's middle names, dates of birth. So it, I can recount the stories mm-hmm. as if they've only just taken place. Mm-hmm. But they're all fascinating. So out of all the, the 30 plus murder suspects that you've interrogated, was there someone or some ones that you sat across from that really like chilled you to the bone like this person is so yeah, damaged yeah I, I think um i think uh the the murder of tony honaset was particularly bad and that was a, a wife killed her husband by the washing machine kids in the house you know it's, it's it was, that was pretty chilly to be honest with you i've met some really interesting murderers i mean <laughs> that, that, i know i know but th- they would be people that i've interviewed and i thought well, do you know what? If I was sitting in a pub, I'd find them really interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can have a you can have a chat. You know, don't talk about the case, but you'd have a chat, and they're as good as gold. And you give them a cup of tea, and and then they're sitting in the interview. And go total silence, no comment, mm-hmm. no comment, no comment. You turn the tape off, and they, yeah, well, anyway, yeah, and they'll, they'll start oh, talking, wow. yeah, yeah, and because they're conditioned to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we we'd interview suspects from Eastern Europe. Okay. We had one particular job where it hasn't, it's never been sold, but a guy was executed in a, in a forest and the suspects came from Poland. Well, what are you going to do as a cop in England to three Polish guys? Mm-hmm. Because actually in Poland, the police would have beaten them within an inch of their lives before they'd have actually interviewed them. Oh, wow. So, of course, when, you, when you've only got so much time to deal with them, they sit there and shrug their shoulders, no comment, and they shake your hand on the way out and say, well, that wasn't so bad, was it? Mm-hmm. So... It's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. 
As Rick mentioned, I'm a huge true crime fan, consumer of podcasts, documentaries, etc. I understand you've got a show coming out with Vivica Fox. Where can we find so it? So it's, uh, it's Vivica Fox's interrogation room, and it's going to be coming out really shortly. The story behind that, there's a guy in London called um, Robert Rinder. He's a, he's a friend of ours, and he is a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But his mother runs a charity called the 45 A's um, Association, and it, it basically... Um, celebrates and remembers the lives of people that died in the Holocaust. And two years ago, we supplied a team of people that went to an event, and there were these three amazing people that had come out of the, the camps. And Rob said to one of the guys, you know, who's ex-job? You know, they've all got their... Mm-hmm. Who's in the police? And my wife said, oh, go and speak to Paul. He'll, t- he'll tell you. So... He came over, and I'm a volunteer at the Tower of London. I know I'm running your, your your podcast over here, but I'm a volunteer at the Tower of London. And if you guys ever want to do it, if you ever come to London, I will take you on a private tour of the Tower of London. I am psyched. I yes, will take I you mean, I've that. done my own personal tour of the Tower of London, but I would love to have a behind the Well, I will meet you look. at quarter past seven of an evening, I'll take you on a private tour. You'll see the ceremony of the keys. You'll go and drink in the bar with the beef eaters. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so this is what I offered Rob. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Is there anything I can do for you? So I said, yeah, can you watch my Lad Bible podcast? I've done a, a piece with Lad Bible, Uni Lad. Mm-hmm. Two million people have watched it. And he said, yeah, of course I will. And four days later, he contacted me and said, look, I'm doing a TV show for the UK, Crime and Investigation Channel. Um, would you like to take part in it? I like what you do. So I said, yeah, cool. So I did that. And what they've done is that Vivica's going to be the lead mm-hmm. in in the u.s there's it's a 10-part series um i'm in eight of the episodes wow i've got a face for radio yeah, but, yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah so that that's what we do so i do that i do comment commentary on murders um but all the murders that we've got on this particular show they're all u.s based mm-hmm. common denominator on that appears to be religion Everybody, that, all the suspects seem to have been involved in a church or, mm. or similar, which is quite controversial. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's a great, great project. She's a lovely lady. I met her in London last year. And, yeah, that's where I am. All right, so it's Interrogation Room with Vivica Fox, and you have a weekly podcast. Oh. Every Monday, Paul Maleri's X Job Downloaded is released, 6 a.m. UK time. Awesome. All right, Scuttlebuds, you heard it. Follow Paul, listen to his podcast, look for Interrogation Room. As always, uh, hit us up on our grievance line, smalltownscuttlebutt.com, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at smalltownscuttlebutt. Thanks for listening. How about a round of applause for all of our sponsors? APC Pest and Termite Control, Larkin's Wine and Spirits, Mario's Lawn Care, Park Street Books, Perez Martial Arts, Royal Pizza, and Winslow Design. We appreciate all of their support, so we ask that you support them too. Thank you.